Join me in prayer. Somehow I'm transitioning into this next part. (laughs) Prayer is the best one right here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your words. We ask your word to do its job as you have spoken of it, to correct, to rebuke, to teach, to train in righteousness, so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God, may your word have its way in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The question is, who would dare to write a job description for mothers? And good luck trying to hire someone to do all that they do. Reminds me of the wife of a prominent Christian leader who became tired of those who looked down on her as a full-time mom. And so when someone would ask and ask this question to her, and what is it that you do, my dear? She would respond, I am socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. And then she would turn to them and say, and what do you do? (laughs) This is Mother's Day. And Mother's Day isn't a church holiday, but it's part of our culture Yet, quite frankly, I never know quite what to do with it. I mean, I deeply love my mom and believe in the need to recognize and honor mothers. Just when it comes to addressing the subject from the pulpit and the Word of God, it is one of the most difficult sermons of the year. And apparently, other pastors feel the same way. One pastor put it this way. He said, for 25 years of my life, The second Sunday of May was trouble. I was obligated in some way to address the subject of Mother's Day. It could not be avoided. And he goes on to say how one outspoken woman came up to him uh, the week prior to Mother's Day and said this, Reverend, I'm bringing my mother to church on Mother's Day and you can talk about anything you want. But it better include mother and it better be good. (laughs) No pressure. This morning, I want to take you to a very familiar place, a well-known story by kids and adults alike. It is a true story of a woman who made a huge difference in her world. Nothing is spoken of her being a mother, but the singular quality of her life is one that every mom can emulate as well as everyone else in this room. It isn't a story of a mom and her children, but of one woman who made a significant impact in her world. Her life should be an inspiration to everyone who wants to make a difference. Everyone who will meet the challenge to effect unimagined transformation in the world around him or her. The story takes place in the great city of Susa, capital of the Persian Empire around 483 B.C. If you're interested in taking your summer vacation in Iran, you can see the ruins of this empire. You'll recall that the northern ten tribes of Israel were taken away by the Assyrians, and, and the two remaining tribes were also taken away into captivity by the Babylonians many years later. Make no mistake about it, the only reason 
those people were not totally annihilated is because of God's covenant with David. What God says he will do, he will do. And after the 70 years of captivity is over, 50,000 Jews returned to Jerusalem. A number much larger than that were taken into captivity. So the question is, where are the vast majority of the Jews following the captivity? Where are the rest of the people? Well, they're living among the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire. They are what are called the diaspora, the dispersed ones. And that brings us to the book of Esther. The book of Esther. In the book of Esther, you have the Jewish people living in the cities in the Gentile world under Persian rule. There we find an orphan girl adopted by her cousin Mordecai. Now, why did I choose this book of the Bible for Mother's Day message? Well, contrary to what you might think, it wasn't just because I had to go outside the box. I mean, that entered in, but that wasn't the main reason. For it is in Esther we discover the power of one. And in a world that underestimates the powerful influence of a mom, I want to accentuate how God can use an ordinary person like yourself to make a difference. If you're looking for a main point, it would be this. Often the link between God's people in distress and God's power on display is God's person. Often the link between God's people in distress and God's power on display is God's person. That's what Esther, the book of Esther, is all about. And so I want to give you four keys to being that one who will make a difference. Four keys to being that person, the one who wants to make a difference in his or her world, whether you're a mom or not, this applies to you this morning. Key number one. Key number one is we need to realize the power of one word. Realize the power of one word. The power of one. You might have noticed that next to the title in your, in, on, on the bulletin this morning, it states, um, uh, Power of One, Part One. <laughs> well, now, when's Part Two? Am I doing a Mother's Day message next week? Are we going to wait a year from now for Part Two? Well, not quite that long. Part two will be in a month on Father's Day as we look at the man Daniel who also demonstrates how one person's decision affected lives. I may suggest this morning uh, that this morning's message leads us to the power of one who said yes and in Daniel's case, the power of one who said no, the power of one word. Really, it's two sides of one coin, the coin of risk. In each case, Daniel, Esther, they knew the right thing to do and they did it even though it could have meant their lives. You see, Esther is known for one thing and one thing only. After this story, she fades into into the obscurity of history. So look with me to the story of Esther. You'll find it in in the Old Testament right next to Nehemiah. Now, if that doesn't help, open up to the book of Psalms And then go back two books. There it is. Now, I'm going to refer to certain verses along the way. And you can have it in front of you. You can look. 
I may direct you there at certain times, but really what I want to do is I will, for the most part this morning, I want to speak to the storyline that moves throughout the book. Now, I know because this is a familiar story, your minds and your brains may go, heard this, hang in there, please. Hang in there. There's something for us this morning. And I encourage you, if you haven't done it in a while, to sit down and read the entire book of Esther in one sitting. It's ten chapters long. It's not that long. It's very easy to read. I would encourage you to sit down and read the book of Esther in one sitting. Or just go rent and VeggieTales version, either one. <laughs> I'd actually encourage both. Both. Well, the book opens up at the Persian palace where the king throws this big bash for everyone living in Susa. The party lasts for seven days. Everyone is drinking and carrying on when the king has this idea that he is going to parade his lovely wife, Queen Vashti, before all the king's drunken nobles. She was lovely to look at, it tells us in verse 11 of chapter 1. So the king wants to show off her beauty. She was going to be this bubblegum to the eyes kind of thing. Sounds a lot like today. Sounds a lot like today when, when women are used as objects for men's lusts. Folks, let's hold up the dignity of women who are created in the image of God rather than devalue them through objectification. Let's hold it up. Queen Vashti refused the king's command. The king said, come, I want to parade you around. She said, no, the power of one word. Now, we're not told why she refused. But she must have felt strongly enough about it before she was very much aware of the consequences. I mean, she says no. Everyone on staff was stunned. I mean, you didn't say no to the king. And they all sobered up in a hurry. And in a panic, this kind of, that this kind of behavior might lead to, to other wives also saying no to their husbands. They, tend to, they, they attempt to legislate respect. They couldn't tolerate this kind of behavior, for there's no telling what would come of it. Reminds me of a story that took place in the 1800s when women started to form these, these uh, prayer groups and missions, uh, missionary societies. And, and, and a lot of people, a lot of men were threatened by this. And, and one minister, intimidated by all this, he stood up and he declared, we can't let this continue. There's no telling what these women will pray for. What a crazy comment. In the church today, we must never go further than God's word in regard to women's role. And we must, like Jesus and the Apostle Paul, elevate womanhoods. Often the position has been, we must stop it right here for there's no telling what will come of it if it were to continue. That's paranoia. That's going further than Scripture. The men of Susa are threatened by this action. They're afraid that their wives might just want to be treated like the persons God intended them to be. Say no to anything, brothers and sisters in Christ, that degrades the image of God in you and in others. Say no to it. The power of one word. You'll make a difference. And the queen did pay a price for her no. She was banished from the king's presence forever. 
And the result, as you know, was this version of, of, of American Idol to find a star. So the king holds this beauty contest to find a replacement for the queen. And the king is not only unstable and has anger issues, he's also quite shallow in that the person who will replace the queen is to be the most beautiful woman. Now, shift scenes with me for a moment to the home of the Jew Mordecai as we come to our second key to being a person of influence, a person who makes a difference. Not only must we realize the power of one word. Secondly, a second key is that we need to remember routine obedience honors God. Routine obedience honors God. This Jewish orphan girl wakes up like every other morning, like every other ordinary day. Hair's a mess. She has morning breath. I mean, everything's the same as every other day. Little did she know that her life would never be the same again. Little did she know that she, this ordinary young woman who had no mother or father in her life, would be used by God to be a positive presence in a negative situation. Little did she know. You see, you might be here this morning and you didn't ever really know your mom or your dad. Or perhaps you're here but you never really had a good relationship with one or both of your parents. Maybe Mother's Day for you is, is a very painful time of year. As you, as you struggle to, to find that card that, that says something that you really feel because you want to be genuine about it. Or maybe it's really a struggle for you as you celebrate this day for one reason or another. Or as you think about what you did or, or did not have with your mom. Listen, wherever you may be today, one thing is for certain. God wants to providentially work to write an unbelievable ending to your story. He does. That's what Esther's all about. Continue to be faithful in the routine. That's to all of us. Now, as you likely already know, one of the interesting facts about the book of Esther is that nowhere in the book does it mention God. Nowhere it never says God is doing this. God is never mentioned in any of the ten chapters of the book of Esther, but God is in this book. It's his story. Now, isn't that often the case in our world? I mean, there are, there are obvious times in, in which we blatantly see the hand of God. There are times when it is so clear that God is working in this particular situation, but there are other times we wonder, where is God in all of this? Where was God back here in my Where was God when I cowered in fear as my mom and dad fought with each other? Where was God in my home where my mom verbally abused me or or passively stood by saying nothing? Where was God? Where was God when I miscarried? Where is God right now with the broken pieces of my life? Can you trust God enough with the pieces of your life? Can you say, I'm going to continue to to be faithful, obedient, because I know that honors God. 
You may be living in the grind of working with someone who seems to have it out for you. He wants to just make your life miserable. You may be going about your daily tasks of motherhood. You may be living in the monotony of life being so daily. Can you trust that God has you in that place for a reason? We're going to come back to that. Can you believe that routine obedience prepares you for the next thing God has for you? The sovereignty of God assures us that we are where he wants us to be. And here's the third key if we're going to make a difference. The third key, trust that God is always up to something. Trust that God is always up to something. He has a plan. Motherless Esther enters this beauty contest and she wins. No accident, no happen chance, no coincidence. God has a plan. Now we don't know, but that Esther wondered along the way as she spent long days in the palace why she ever followed Mordecai's advice and entered this beauty pageant to begin with. Why did I listen to him? Where's this all leading? no need to second guess God. He has a plan. What's going on behind the scenes? Well, the theme that runs through this entire story is of one insane man, crazed man, Haman. The king's right-hand man who has it out for the Jews. There was a holocaust in the making. Haman was committed to the goal of wiping out all the Jews by the end of the year. Now remember, to this point, Esther has not revealed her Jewish identity to the king. The king agrees to Haman's plot. After all, the king has shown what he does with those who disagrees with him. He gets them out of his way. And the last verse in Esther chapter 3, look at it with me. Esther chapter 3, verse 15. Spurred on by the king's command, the couriers went out and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. Distressed is a better word. For the Jews, the sky was falling. Sometime, either today, right now, later this week, write down a situation that appears virtually hopeless. Write it down. Write down something that is causing you great distress right now. What are the odds that are overwhelmingly stacked against you right right now? Might God be up to something? You see, things are not always as they seem. Case in point. A shipwrecked man was once washed ashore on an uninhabited island. In the days that followed, he painstakingly constructed this hut with a few things that he salvaged from the wreck and from whatever he could find on the island. That one little hut was his only protection from the harsh elements and the only place he could safeguard his possessions. Well, upon returning home, returning back to that hut one evening from a lengthy search for food, he was terrified to find that hut, engulfed in flames. The loss was devastating. He spent that night in despair and and despondent, in distress, sleeping on the sands. Well, he awoke early the next morning, and to his surprise, he saw a ship anchored off the island. 
A crew member stopped the shore and the man was rescued. And the man asked the crew member, how in the world did you know I was here, stuck on this island? He replied, oh, we saw your smoke signal. <laughs> we came to rescue you. Things are not always as they seem. The hut that went up in smoke seeming to be the last straw was what saved him. What seemed to be destruction turned out to be deliverance. When all may seem to be lost, it isn't. And when Mordecai heard the news of imminent danger to his people, he wailed loudly and bitterly, it says in chapter 4, verse 1. Mordecai has been shipwrecked by an anti-Semitic undercurrent on the island of injustice. Every hope that sheltered him had gone up in smoke or was about to. You see, often the link between God's people in distress and God's people and God's power on display is God's person. He knew the power of one. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 6. Chapter 4, verse 6. So Hathak, and he's the guy that's going in between, running back and forth between Esther and Mordecai. He's the messenger. So Hathak went out to Mordecai, just came from Esther, in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything, um, everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Verse 8. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. Now, it's worthy to note here, just for a moment, Mordecai's attention to accuracy. He doesn't embellish the truth. He doesn't hide the truth. He doesn't pass on rumors. He provides Esther with a document. Unfortunately, at times in the Christian community, we pass on information before checking out the accuracy of it. Please do your homework before passing something along. Be a stickler for accuracy. Let's be well-informed Christians. Mordecai wants Esther to be well-informed. And based on the facts, he then urges her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him on behalf of her people as the end of verse 8 Uh, tells us and told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Now I wonder if right here Esther wondered, is this in my job description as a queen? I mean, really, did I sign on for this? I entered a beauty contest, that's it. You ever felt that way? Esther didn't feel she was the person for the job. You ever feel that way? Most moms feel that and very inadequate for the task of motherhood. Many don't feel they they measure up to Proverbs 31, ideal woman. They go, oh, forget it. Do you not feel up to what God has called you to do? Esther's reply to Mordecai's appeal is found in verse 11. She says, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. And we have already seen that the king has anger issues and he was prone to rashness. At this moment, Esther is more concerned about her safety than the well-being of her people. How often are your decisions 
more about your personal comforts? How often are your decisions more about your own convenience or driven more by self-protection than what is right? More frequently than I care to admit, my parenting is often driven by what is best for me than what is right. Oh, this is such an inconvenient time here. Don't do that. That's a terrible reason to parent. That we all get frazzled like that. Read of a frazzled mother who sent her little boy to bed and she heard him grumbling, saying to himself, every time my mom gets tired, I'm the one who ends up taking a nap. (laughs) Yeah, you understand that. This is inconvenient here. Get out of my way. I need a nap. You need a nap so I can get on my life. Mordecai would not allow Esther to remain inside the box of comfort and safety, but he pushes her to think bigger picture. It is good to have people around us like that that help us to look beyond ourselves. Here's the fourth key. It is no accident that you are placed where you are today. It is no accident that you are placed where you are today. Look with me at at chapter 4, verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer, Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. I love the confidence of this guy in God. But you and your father's family will perish, and who knows? but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. What is Mordecai saying here? It is no accident, Esther, that you are placed where you are today. So speak up. This is a divine appointment. Often the link between God's people in distress and God's power on display is God's person. One person. The power of one. Reminds you of the often quoted words of Edward Everett Hale. He said, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. Do you know what it's like to be right where God wants you? It is satisfying. It is freeing. It is fulfilling. And any time... When your heart is, matches what is in God's word and is not contrary to it, then you can move forward in this quiet confidence that God is indeed with you. And that is what Esther does. Verse 15 says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mind of the little boy who returned home from church, having heard a sermon on the book of Esther. The parents knew their son had been paying attention when it came time for him to eat his Brussels sprouts at dinner. Sparing one and looking at it distastefully, the boy placed the Brussels sprout in his mouth and he said, If I perish, I perish. <laughs> Not the right application of this morning's message. Don't try it. Esther knows the risk involved to speak up. 
Added to Esther's outward beauty is the beauty on the inside. She's a woman of courage. Courage cements our convictions. Esther lays her life on the line. She affirms to the king that she's a Jew who worships the one God. It would have been much safer for her to keep silence. A college student returned home from college, and the young man was a committed Christian going right through the youth group, and then he went off to college. At church his first Sunday back from the secular college, the youth pastor asked him, so did being a Christian cause any problems for you with the other students? No, the young man replied, fortunately, they never found out. Sadly, many who call themselves Christians are hoping no one finds out their true identity. After all, it's easier to blend in with everyone else than to stand out as different. Well, Esther was willing to stick her neck out, revealing her identity, whatever price she would pay. For who knows, Mordecai reminds her, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. It's no accident that you are placed where you are today. Who knows? Who knows but that you're the link between someone in need and God's power being displayed. Who knows? Who knows, moms, that what you're doing right now in the routine is for such a time when God wants to work and use you in shaping a life for the saving of many souls. Who knows? One thing we do know, where you're placed right now is right where God wants you and you can make a difference in your world if you live in obedience to him. One thing we do know is that God wants to make your life count for him right where you are right now, even in the mundane, even in the routine, the ordinary, even in your faithfulness and obedience to the tasks of life you may think are not in your job description. Who knows how God will use you? And who knows how many years it will be. It was several years for Esther. Who knows how many years it will be for such a time as this for which God has placed you where you are. Often the link between God's people in distress and God's power on display is God's person. The question is, are you that link? And you may be here this morning and you figure, "Ah, I made a real wrong decision here. I married the wrong person. You don't understand, Pastor. I married the wrong person. I took the wrong job. Everything just started out wrong for me. Perhaps. But it's the right one now. Because the sovereign Lord knew of your choice before you made it. And he can work together for good those who love him. And who have been called according to his purpose. Perhaps you're crying out, is this in my job description really? Did I really sign up for this? I know I used this illustration before, but it's quite fitting to what we have seen this morning. It's a true story of a woman by the name of Georgine Johnson. And when Georgine hit 42 years of age, she said, I am am going to look like a good 42. So she started running and exercising to keep in shape. She did well in her running. She was running farther every single day. So she decided to try a little competition. So she entered this 10K race, which is roughly, what, six miles? Nervous about her first race, she got up early and arrived at the start of the race. And to her surprise, there were a lot of people milling around, stretching and and getting ready. And all of a sudden, the voice on the microphone said, move to the starting line. And the gun sounded. And they were all off in a huge wave, hundreds of runners sweeping her up. She was actually in the race. 
After about four miles, it occurred to her that they really ought to be heading back to the finish line. She wondered why no one was turning around. And she stopped and asked an official, how come the course isn't turning around? Why, isn't, why aren't we heading to the finish line? He replied, ma'am, you're running in the Cleveland Marathon. That's 26 miles. Apparently the 10K was to start a half hour after the start of the marathon. She was in the wrong race. Now some of us, most of us perhaps would have stopped right there and said, that's it, I'm going home. But Georgine Johnson kept on going. She finished the 26-mile race. And she spoke after the race of her attitude, and they are profound words. She said, this is not the race I trained for. This is not the race I entered. But for better or worse, this is the race I'm in. Perhaps you feel as though you're in a different race than you ever dreamed. Perhaps what you thought was a 10K race is turning out to be a marathon. And you may say, that isn't the race I trained for. Listen, it may not be the race you trained for. It may not be the race you thought you entered. But can you say with acceptance this morning, for better or for worse, this is the race I'm in. God has me here for a reason. And your confidence is God has you where he wants you and he desires to use you for his glory and honor. You can make a difference wherever you are. You can make an impact for such a time as this. Believe that and go forward. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the story of Esther. We didn't do justice to it, really. I hope we got the the points that, that needed to be sent our way this morning. May we go forward now, Lord, believing that this is the race we're in and you have put us here and you can use whatever wrong decisions we have made in the past for your, for your purposes. If we keep trusting in you, being obedient to you faithfully daily. May we run this race with much vigor and enthusiasm for you know you're the one who is in charge and you have a plan. Use us. To make a difference, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.